Blurred Up, Blurred Up. Welcome to the show where we talk about the culture from a BPOV, a black POV. You can find us on Instagram at B-L-E-R-D period U-P. You can find us on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D U-P. And we are on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D U. Welcome to the first episode of 2021. And did you hear that? We have a theme song now. And it was done by Kay Murdoch. For those who follow us on YouTube, I did an interview with him and Blurred Rap legend Mega Ran last year to celebrate the 10th anniversary of Forever Famicom. I've really dug K. Murdoch's production since I was in college many moons ago, and I reached out to ask him recently to send me some beats, and here we are. And he actually just released an album, Sega City, with 1UP, aka Creative Mindframe, and it's the spiritual successor to Forever Famicom. He used Sega samples for his beats, and there are rap homages to your favorite Sega classics. And we'll be playing one of my favorite tunes from it, Streets of Rage, at the end of the show, so stick around. There's a, a Biden voice clip of him advocating for the three strikes bill back in the 90s, which is uh, chilling. Um, has been concerned about our future, but more on that later. By the way, I'm your extremely sleep-deprived host brendan and i'm joined by some old faces draper and sky are back coming to you from ukraine and kyrgyzstan i've been talking to them so much off the air but i'm so happy to have them back on the show again what's up guys yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey what's going on good to be back yeah it's good to see see everybody again it's been a while yeah, we never got a chance for a proper send-off for either of you because of scheduling. But yeah, because it's virus, I'm taking a stab at remote recording. So I hope this goes well. Let us know how you feel about everything in the comments. With the intros out of the way, so much has happened since our last show. Today, we're going to talk about One Night in Miami, the Netflix sensation, Lupin, Anthony Mackie's new action film, Outside the Wire. WandaVision, but as you can imagine, our top story is what is your favorite Bernie meme? <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm half I'm half joking, but but seriously, I think uh, for me the the Wu Tang, the Tororo, the um, Chappelle show, the yeah. Armbar, and 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 the Fresh Prince chair. Those are my those are my five. Yeah, those those are all my top my top ten. I think. Uh... I think the one with uh, the one with the arm bar is probably my favorite. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the one with the arm bars is probably is probably definitely number one for me. Uh, it just I woke up, I went to sleep, and then the next morning, I mean, you know, I went to sleep when they had just you know when the the actual photo itself of him in the folding chair, you know, sitting by himself with those uh, with those gangster ass mittens on. Uh, <laughs> I went to sleep, and then I woke up the next morning, and then there were just memes everywhere. Um, right. You know, and yeah, it's actually um, oat, the oatmeal Matthew Inman kind of made a meme about that, where it's just like you see some guy and he's opening up his laptop and then he gets hit by a few Bernie memes, you know, and then all of a sudden, like, they just start shooting out at like a ridiculous rate. Uh, but, yeah, the arm bar is, is great just because of like the um, the top part and the bottom part. You see like Joe Rogan and those guys on the bottom and their faces um, yeah. and then uh, definitely Chappelle's show. Um, as a slight tangent, I'm becoming, I don't know about you guys, but I'm becoming more cynical about these like forced moments and media rollouts. Mm -hmm. I really started to notice it with 
Avengers Endgame where articles were released for, for weeks addressing criticisms or explaining things that the movie didn't. They were created and dripped to keep interest and the conversation going about the film so people could go back to watch it and discover something new. And most of them, I would imagine, were probably written before the release of the film. It's it's smart marketing, right? You see that with a lot of blockbusters. Most recently, um, I saw a lot of uh, Wonder Woman 84 pieces on my Google feed. And I think because of the, the poor reception compounded with the Capitol riot, I don't think it got much attention. But in relation to, to politics, Kamala had that that little girl was me shirts printed before the debate. She dropped that on uh, Biden, probably had the I'm speaking merch locked and loaded before her debate with Pence. Um, and I'm genuinely happy that Kamala and Michelle promoted uh, Amanda Gorman and independent black designers for the inauguration. And, you know, the articles about them were pre-written, ready to drop and. They were expecting everyone to talk about how much they slayed, but then this this old man <laughs> who didn't really want to be there just pops up in the most basic shit and randomly takes away nearly all the spotlight, and I find that absolutely hilarious. <laughs> and the thing is, the thing is, it's the same coat from the other Bernie meme, right? right. I, I think I think that a lot of this, a lot of what what you're seeing is is kind of. You know, it's a mixture of, 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 of mild schadenfreude and, you know, gotcha. You know, I think the, that, you know, with the way that we've been exposed to everything, as far as getting things at a hyper, you know, at warp speed when it comes to information, when it comes to, uh, you know, pop cultural references, whatever it might be, if it wasn't, you know, crazy and, and over, you know, an, over, an overly large amount that we were consuming before, you know, the pandemic has made everybody a captive audience to everything now, you know, where you have a quarter of the world's population that are exposed mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, lockdown procedures and protocols. You know, I, I think that that it's really telling that, you know, where you have um, probably one of the most anticipated moments uh, of the decade, if not one of the most anticipated moments of the century, uh, televised around the world. And you've got, you know, this homely you know, old senator from Vermont that looks like he's about to go out <laughs> for, you know, apples, pears, and maple syrup. Um, it's telling, man. Like, it, it really is telling about about where we really are and, and what really moves the meter. Yeah. I like scripted events. And indeed, we're going to talk about scripted television and movies today, but I do miss these random phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I can't think of anything any presidential candidate has done and gone viral mm-hmm. than this, or when the bird landed on Bernie's podium, and like man didn't even win. It's like my man sitting in the middens, crossing his arms, like you could have had a bad bitch. <laughs> exactly. And the thing about it is, is the photographer who captured that photo says that like it almost didn't happen. Like he was trying to pay, take a picture of someone else, and he just like kind of looked over and saw like Bernie doing something, like twiddling his hands or something like that. And he just he's like. You know, like, I didn't even know if I got the shot because it was such a quick moment in time, because apparently he wasn't just sitting there like that for a long time. That was just like a moment, you know, mm-hmm. just one moment in time, you know, that was just captured. But it's it's interesting because that 
kind of what you said about like uh, the the black fashion designers and 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 all of this. It's so funny because that kind of led to another meme, and then kind of like a cross pollination of of a Bernie meme with uh, Kamala and Michelle Obama. Because like they had the the Mortal Kombat one where it was just like Bernie was sitting in the back yeah, as yeah, like yeah. Shang Tsung or whatever. Um or, or who was who was the the guy that was sitting in that chair? Shao Kahn. Shao Kahn. Uh and Melina and, and um what's her name? Katana. Yeah. Katana. So. That was another good one. Yeah. Yeah, man. Well on First, I don't know why my Bernie impression sounded like Yogi Bear, but anyway, I just just imagine the random memes we could have had um, from Bernie in the spotlight for four years as president, <laughs> as opposed to the the scripted, almost propaganda level of content we got from the Obama administration, and will likely be expanded under the Biden administration. Yeah, even during the debates, there was seemingly more buzz about Kamala's side eyes or her timberlands and i'm speaking versus her actual policy stances the average person probably couldn't tell you the positive policies of obama outside of advocating for gay marriage and right. obamacare but they can tell you how smart eloquent cool and handsome he was or how cool his family is and that's largely how the media machine yeah was and designed. you know that brings us back to the to 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 what we're talking about right now for the next four years is that you know are we really moving forward? Like, are we really, or are we back to square one? You know, um, I think that everything that you just said really kind of encapsulates what we're what we're dealing with. Where, yeah, two things can be true at the same time. Where you know, this is a historic moment. This is something that um, really moves the meter. It, it really it helps push. Um, it helps push things towards that arc of justice that people tend to want to talk about, right? And that's great. But mm -hmm. at the same time, representation matters, but it's not enough. It's not enough. You know, how can we really right. hold people accountable um, if them just being non-white, if them not being Republicans, if them not being, you know, far right or fascist and and or mildly charismatic? You know, if that's the bar, then we've got a lot more to be working on and we need to pay more attention to that because our job as citizens our jobs as 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 people of uh people that want actual change is not to just stand politicians it's to hold them accountable right that's what we need to focus on and i think there's too many people um particularly to be honest with you on that that consider themselves to be liberal that are all caught up in the the buzzworthy moments and the buzzworthy uh uh adages that are you know, attributed to the fact that, you know, she is a, an AKA fantastic. That's great. She's a, a woman that is of South Asian descent. Yes. That's amazing. You know, she's a black woman. Amazing. Again, what is she going to do to, to further uh, justice and equality? You know, we've got to, we've got to look at that from, from the whole and not just at these things that are buzzworthy. Yeah. And, and I think that we, um, as it relates to politics, we have to start conditioning people to take a longer view mm -hmm. uh, because if every four years, every eight years, it's basically going to be one step forward and then two steps back. You know, we've got to make sure that, you know, like we're taking a longer view because otherwise we're hustling backwards, you know? So yeah, that, that's all I got, uh, you know, because I look at this situation um, and I see that, 
for better or for worse, you know, due to the the composition of the United States, um, Obama gave us Trump. Yeah. You know, the reaction to Obama, you know, the people that were upset about Obama for um, uh, mostly illegitimate reason, um, they were the ones that basically launched Trump into office. And I think that the worry that I have is if we go too far into the, you know, the Slay King, you know, like, uh, Biden, oh, oh, get out of here, Biden, you know, and and, and all mm-hmm. of the, the kind of meme jokey, you know, this, that, and the other. It's it's going to lead us to someone that's more competent than Trump, you know, sure. that's less of a clown than Trump, but is, is willing to do a lot more damage because mm-hmm. what Trump was doing was, you know, a basic playbook as far as, you know, the what a lot of these kind of conservative think tanks and everything have wanted for a long time. Just, I want to add on that. Definitely white anti-black racism helped promote Trump, but it was the ineffectiveness of the Democrats when they had power that also gave us Trump. We can't just blame Trump for this. We have to blame what, these people yeah. did not do. You look at basically what Obama ran on, uh, his 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 campaign and right. what he was able to inspire people to come out and vote for him. And then actually what he fought for in office or what he appeared to fight for in office. We don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but, um, you know, for someone that was so much, you know, about, you know, hope and change, um, there was... Uh, a lot less of what we were able to get in the first two years of Obama's presidency, where he had a filibuster-proof majority um, and uh, and also the House. Yeah. I kind of liken all the buzz about these memes and looks uh, and moments to, like, seasoning on food. Like, it definitely enhances the experience when I eat, like, a good season steak right mm-hmm. but i feel like these days people are more it's like they're just drinking purely the seasoning without touching the actual food these days <laughs> does that make sense before we move on to a night in miami i want to give two concrete examples of what i'm afraid of um as i said i'm very concerned about the media overlooking really problematic stuff for the pageantry because there are some positions that i just read about recently things that um there are policies that trump continued from Bush and Obama, and there are policies that he instituted himself that Biden, the Biden-Harris administration are also going to continue. Number one, Biden will keep the U.S. embassy oh, in Jerusalem. Man. And again, this was established under Trump. It was heavily criticized uh, on the left in regards to further disrespecting and agitating the mm-hmm. Palestinian people. But of course, the right cheered that on. He will likely not challenge the Golan Heights expansion into Palestinian territory. The Biden-Harris administration is literally supporting apartheid abroad, yet they talk about healing mm-hmm. our nation. But what about over there? I don't know if you want to speak on that. Yeah, I, you know, it is, again, it goes back to what I was saying before. You know, are we really moving forward? Are we just back to square one? Um, you know, when you get out of, mm-hmm. when you get out of, out of the, the, the negative Right. And you just get right back to a, a neutral setting. Have you really made any kind of progress or 
are you just getting back to a point where, mm, okay, things are respectable enough for me to not feel like every morning I wake up that I'm being bombarded with things that just totally, you know, blow, you know, blow your mind. Um, if it's not in your backyard, then and if it's not in, you know, if it's not in, you know, out of sight, out of mind, I guess you could say. Um, and that is really troubling because again, we're talking about, we're talking about how our domestic policies tend to not mirror what we're doing as far as uh, what we truly believe in, what we say we're doing at home, but whatever happens abroad, well, it's all good as long as our pockets are getting lined. And that's really kind of what it boils down to. Um, I have a really big problem with that. And, it, and it's something that, um, you know, as, as you know, um, is something that's very near and dear to my heart. But at the same time, what are we really doing? What is that really doing to reflect that we're getting better? Everybody just sees what's going on the top layer, but underneath that topsoil, we've still got a lot of trash to get rid of, right? Um, and it's yeah. it's something that I think that these next four years, it's really going to make or break whatever kind of progress that we can make, not just at home, but abroad. Because again, we're talking about multi-tiers of interconnectivity when it comes to climate change, when it comes to uh, you know social justice worldwide, when it comes to the overall way that we're doing business with uh, uh, you know people that we considered or nations that we consider to be adversarial, um, you know, there's a lot of things that people are not talking about because it's convenient right now because everybody can get on board with okay, I hate Trump, but okay, and then fill in the blank, and that's something that I, I still really feel right. uh, we're, we, we've got a long way to go as far as, as, as getting to a point where we can actually be celebratory, to be honest with you. No, I, you're totally right. Um, the second example I, I want to go through, too, on that note is the Biden administration, the Biden-Harris administration will be acknowledging Juan <sighs> Guaido, a, a right politician, as the president of Venezuela, even though he lost his election twice to a socialist president. He's like the Donald Trump of Venezuela contesting elections he lost fairly. And the only reason why the government, the US government is trying to back him is because if instated, he would sell Venezuela's resources, namely oil, mm -hmm. to our government at cheap rates. And the US has a decades long history of supporting atrocious leaders, monsters that gave away its nation's mm -hmm. resources and suppressed its people and committed unspeakable violence upon them. And even most recently, Obama and Hillary, uh, when she was Secretary of State, supported a right-wing coup in Honduras that has helped fuel the migrant crisis mm -hmm. at the border that helped- Trump get into office. Exactly. Yeah. So as you said, Obama did give us Trump in some mm -hmm. ways. You know, famously, there are pics of children in cages separated from their parents, and it was solely put on Trump come to find out that some of those picks were taken while Obama was president. Yeah. And of course, the mainstream media doesn't talk about those things. We're running long on this, but if you guys have some more comments, that's fine. But I just, I want to encourage our audience to try not to get swept up in all the pageantry over the next two years. Because honestly, we could, we could lose yeah. the midterms. Don't get swept up in, in the pageantry too much. Enjoy the levity. Enjoy the memes. There, there will be some cool moments, I'm sure. And just good moments, good policy moments from this administration. But just keep your eyes open for everything. Stay, stay, stay frosty. Just stay frosty because it, it's yeah. not over.
Well, speaking of leftists speaking truth to power, let's move on to One Night in Miami. So this movie is another fictionalized day in the life stories with extraordinary people, which may be a growing trend. You know, we have Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, which just released last month. Just for some bonus info, this was written by Kent Powers, who was the co-director and co-writer mm-hmm. for Soul. This was originally a play like Fences and Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, and it was first performed in 2013. It won the Ted Schmidt Award for Outstanding World Premiere of a New Play. It won three LA Drama Critic Circle Awards, four NAACP Theater Awards for mm-hmm. Best Playwright, Best Director, Best Ensemble Cast, Best Producer, and an LA Weekly Theater Award for Playwriting and Direction. And I didn't know this, but Kim Power also wrote some Star Trek Discovery episodes. I know, Draper, you watched that show. No, did, I didn't. Did and um, it shows, though. I mean, because I love both of them. One day I'm going to watch it. It's a great show, man. Like I, I, I tell people all the time, this, especially really uh, really traditional Trekkies. And my mother, my mother's a really traditional Trekkie. She's, I mean, I'm talking about the original series type Trekkie. Um, uh-huh. She really kind of cut off with uh, the next generation. She was okay with that. And then I tried to get her turned on to uh, Discovery, and she was like, "Oh, you know, it's 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 going off on a tangent." I'm like, "No, a lot of the stuff is like canon; you can get into it." And then she she watched a few episodes mm-hmm. and she got hooked. Um, so I highly recommend it. It's it's an awesome show, man. You should really you should really check it out. Yeah, for old school Trekkies, I've, just, I've never watched for old school Trekkies. It's it's a hard sell when you when yeah. you have the serialized format. Uh, mm-hmm. As opposed to the episodic format, but um, it 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 definitely delivers once you. I mean, there's like this arc and this story that's being told. Whereas old school Trekkies were just like, you know, every week I get a full story. You know, yeah. uh, I get a conclusion. You know, mm-hmm. it slaps, man. All right, I'll I'll, I'll check it out. Um, but yeah, let's get to the premise of this this movie. This is based on a real event. Uh, Malcolm X, Sam Cooke, Jim Brown, and Cassius Clay uh, hanging out at the Hampton House in Miami the night after Clay mm-hmm. beat Sonny Liston. Now, each person is fast approaching a pivotal point in their lives. Malcolm's about to leave the NOI just a year before his assassination. Jim Brown is about to quit the NFL to become an actor. Cassius is about to become Muhammad Ali and join the NOI. And Sam is on the verge of releasing a change is going to come. And this is less than a year before he was murdered. So every character is coming into this meeting with similar but different experiences as Black men in America, as well as their respective thoughts on social responsibility, integrity, and more. Now, there are some things that distinguish this from Black Bottom. And one, it's more jovial. I said it in the other review, Black bottom was like a horror film for me (laughs) i have not seen that yet it was kind of like a bottle movie where you're just trapped with these two super volatile people who could just blow up at any moment like i was there was just tension the whole time the second part that distinguishes this movie is it doesn't come to a complete halt to let the main characters monologue at least not in the beginning i think it's more subtle Black Bottom's direction may work for some people, but it kind of took me out of it at times. I think Miami flowed more like a movie as opposed to a play that got turned into a movie. 
And I really enjoyed the chemistry between the cast and how they bounced off each other. Even though Malcolm is the connecting tissue, it didn't necessarily feel like his movie. It felt like a true ensemble. Like in, in Tribe Called Quest terms, Black Bottom was people's instinctive travels, whereas this felt more like a, a yeah. Marauders. I like that. I like that. And it, you know what I really like about this this uh, this particular this particular movie was that you know you got to really see acting chops from a a, a different uh, a different cut of blood. You could say uh, the you know getting to showcase new mm. uh, black talent um, was awesome. I really enjoyed that that, and they they did a, a just a, a bang on job with it. Just an absolute uh, killer of a movie. And and I I believe that Rotten Tomatoes actually had this at ninety eight percent fresh. Um, I may need to recheck that. I, I had written that in my notes that it was ninety eight, but I, I was looking. I was doing different notes at the same at the same time. But uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes gave this a, an absolute uh, killer rating, and and I, I very much agree. They they did an absolutely amazing job showcasing you know new uh, new blood. The, the talent was really great, and and the way that they portrayed. The characters was excellent. Just to add on to that, we have these lesser known actors with the heavy undertaking of portraying some of the most popular mm -hmm. figures in black history, specifically Muhammad Ali and Malcolm X. And those expectations are compounded by the fact that those two were already played by two of the most popular actors right. in black history, Will Smith and Denzel Washington respectively. And as you said, I think they, they, did, they, they were outstanding. Uh, I, yeah, I was initially just going to pipe in and say, yeah, it's still at 98 um, percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the the actors, like I, I looked uh, when I when I when I first heard about this movie and I was like looking and I was like, oh, Regina King. All right. Let's see what's going on. Let's who's going to play who. And I was like, I've never heard of any of these people. And, and I was like, well, let's let's kind of see how this goes. But I was blown away by like everybody's performance. I've heard of Leslie Odom before, actually. Yeah. Um, but like he wasn't mm -hmm. like, you know, popping out with like, you know, like, oh, he's a headliner or this, that, that or the other for me. Mm -hmm. um, but like everybody, I think, comes out of this look with a fresh coat of paint. You know, everybody yeah. is looking amazing, yeah. you know, going forward. I, I just want to go down on the list. We have Eli Gorey, who uh -huh. plays Cassius, and I he had the look, the build, the swagger, and the writing was just spot yeah. on. I am 210 and a half pounds of trouble, boys. And what they didn't know was when they weighed me in, a half pound of it wasn't even me. Well, what was it, Cash? It was a half pound of divine skill, but stowed hey. upon me oh, from God up on high. Ah. All hey. right. They had Joe Lewis on one side of the ring, Rocking Marciano in the other. Halfway through the six, out the corner of my eye, I saw them looking at each other like they was asking themselves, why couldn't we do that when we was young? <laughs> I'm serious. If tonight don't prove God was with me, then nothing does. He's largely a TV actor, but as you all said, like I definitely hope to see more from him. And Kingsley Ben Adir plays Malcolm and I think he just had amazing mm -hmm. range here. I was super impressed with just like, you know, the mannerisms and, you know, the small things. Like, yeah. I'm not sure how historically this was, but I just noticed like when he would sit down, it would be kind of in an opposite direction of everybody else where he could turn and look back over his shoulder and talk to people. And it was just like a lot of these things with with his physical, his physicality uh, mm -hmm. as Malcolm that were just like, mm -hmm. 
they they seem to be very kind of deliberate and i don't know if they it was directed or if it was just something that um the the actor kingsley picked up on you know through through film and and accounts of, of malcolm or whatever even his right. stutter when he talked when he got really excited right did you know that he played Barack Obama in the coma? I just found that out. I just found that out. I actually was just looking at. Uh, I was just looking at a note, and I just right before you said that, I just found that out. I had no idea. He's going to be the Chadwick Boseman of famous <laughs> life skin people. <laughs> he's going to be. You said he's going to wow. be the high, high yellow Ch- Chadwick Boseman. Somebody, please come get this man. Wow. Somebody, he's just please gonna, come. He's just going to go through history, taking off all the light skin brothers. Man, that's wild. <laughs> Look forward to Urban Legend, the Ti biopic. Not Ti. <laughs> Fun fact: both he. And Eli Gorey were voice actors in video games before this right. movie. Um, he was in Guitar Hero, and Eli Gorey was in Dead Rising 4. Um, but anyway, let's get back to the movie. I don't want to go on the trivia too long. Um, I think his opening speech on the news was perfect. I, I kind of was questioning whether that really was him or he was just voicing over Malcolm. But I think that was just yeah. really him. When he came home to speak to his wife, Betty, she's, she's played by uh, Jacqueline kula congo from lovecraft country i thought his voice kind of took a dip and i was kind of afraid but it became well adjusted um when he started talking to the guys and i think he really sold the passion that fueled malcolm's decisions as well as his anxiety about the specter of death that hung around him during his final year with relation to his voice i can't remember who it was but they called him out on it i think it was um i think it was sam cook he was just like oh man you didn't drop the affectation to your voice and everything <laughs> you know you, you you upset you yeah. know or, or whatever else it might be so yeah, it's just they- like there is that idea that like when malcolm was at home like he didn't talk like he did like out in public and everything else like that and you know he yeah. just became so much of a public figure that when he was with the guys or when he was out you know giving speeches or whatever whatever there was this affectation and it's like a preacher's affectation you know like mm-hmm. Mal- I mean, like martin luther king you know you mm-hmm. don't expect that he always had those intonations when he was telling his kids to go to bed or whatever else like that I thought I told you to get in the bed about five minutes ago. <laughs> it was like Blade. Remember in Blade movie when, you know, he's he's so calm and grisly and deep. But then in, in the beginning of the movie, the cops started shooting at him and he was like, Motherfucker, are you out of your damn mind? <laughs> like he was Chris Tucker. <laughs> it was like, nigga here now. <laughs> it, as Jaber said, it's cool to see these monumental figures as everyday people. Viola Davis in Black Bottom said, "Just portraying people in this ordinary way is progressive." And I, and I, I yeah, and, and to piggyback on what you just said about you know how monumental of an undertaking it is just to portray these actors, compound that with the fact that all of these figures at this pivotal point in time were all at a major crossroads of their lives, right? And being able to not just be able not being able to not only portray them with you know the kind of of uh reverence and 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 gravity that they deserve but also taking on what their mental state may have been like at that at that point that's not Mm, a that is not that is not an, an, an easy undertaking by itself 
And, and that's what makes this movie even better, in my opinion, was that they were able to embody that atmosphere, right? At, at that point in time, with all of these characters being so closely intertwined, but yet so incredibly different in their own individuality, right? Yeah, sure. um, I, I would agree with what Sky said. Like there was this palpable, you know, kind of atmosphere, this mood that was kind of created and through the synergy of the different actors. Um, but I did want to go back to what Brandon said when, when he was talking about what Viola Davis uh, talked about portraying these people as uh, in their, their kind of human moments or, you know, outside of the spotlight. Uh, Viola's the queen because when she pulled off her wig and how to get away with murder, I was just like, bro. <laughs> she too real right now. She too real. <laughs> I think one. Um, I think something that's peculiar about Kingsley's portrayal is we see a different side. We see a lot of sides that weren't in Spike mm-hmm. Lee's movie. For one, this guy is a total killjoy, or that, or like, or a troll. <laughs> like the whole premise of this movie is him having a celebration for his friend for winning the championship match. Now, Lee is 22 years old at this point, hasn't fully converted to the NOI, and he's excited to drink, be with women, you know, like turn up. Jim Brown and Sam Cooke are in the same boat, and they have little interest in the NOI. But they get back to the hotel, and Malcolm's like, isn't the real party the friends you made along the way? (laughs) And they're like, no, nigga, I'm trying to fuck. Facts. (laughs) True, true, true. Uh, it's like and then like he like he does some other troll like things in the first half that had me wondering like are you are you serious or are you fucking with these people like is is this performance art? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I, honestly, I felt I felt Malcolm. I felt Malcolm because uh, like basically that's how I get down. Like I don't turn up. I'd be like, yeah, let's just go back to the crib and talk, man. <laughs> you just won the championship. Let's reflect. <laughs> I feel like you would say that in advance, though. Right. You wouldn't be like, hey, guys, have a party back in my place. And, like, you got these, these three dudes yeah. super hyped up. And right. you know and what be, they want. Because Malcolm knew. You just surprised them and trolled them with, like, Malcolm well, knew I got them, he was I got just like, ice cream. So Muhammad, he asked, I mean, he asked Cassius. <laughs> he was just like, did you tell him anything else? You know, you told him to meet, meet at the hotel room. Did you tell him anything else? You know, this, that, and the other. So he knew he was setting them up for, for disappointment. But... I believe here's the thing. Is it a troll or is it kind of a strategy, you know, because he wanted everybody to be, I think, uh, a little bit upset. He wanted yeah. to prime them to be upset. I think it wasn't like, oh, it's it's not like an Admiral Akbar, Akbar, like, oh, it's a trap. Like, it's not like that. Like, he really wanted to get them in all in a room <laughs> to be yeah, able no, no. to kind of shake their cage a little bit and then get them to really come out. Because, again. You know, whether they knew it or not, every single person that was in that room, that was in that hotel room to party was in, in and of themselves, you know, a huge part of, you know, the, 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 the trials and tribulations to come, uh, so to speak, of, of what was being set up uh, that would either befall not just them, but befall the entire movement, right? Uh, for black liberation, for black struggle, for civil rights. And I think that a lot of that had to do with him getting them in there clear-headed 
and somewhat pissed off that they weren't really going to turn up. Um, although, you know, I'm the type of person that like, if you present me yeah. with a bucket of ice cream, you know, I'm, I'm good to go. That that's just me. But again, I'm 40 years old. So, yeah, <laughs> so that was bad though. Part. That ice cream. That was a really funny part. I mean, and they was eating it so Even, sadly. You know, was, uh, I was, was looking so at Jim, Bro- Jim Brown tucking into that bowl <laughs> of ice cream, and I was just like, man, I, I that's, <laughs> that, uh, you know, we might fight. Yeah. I mean, Malcolm even kind of kind of trolled his daughter with a with a gift. He was like, "Hey, baby, I got a present for you." Ooh. And then he was like giving her like Riddler clues for like five minutes, and and then it's like turns out, oh, it's like a letter. Hey, you know what? Back in the day, letters used to be you know toys. I mean, they True. they used to be iPads back then. You know what I'm saying? Like you get a letter from somebody. Come on, like you you. I, I mean, she that. looked like she was genuinely happy. She was tired, but she was happy. But can we talk about? Can we talk about the scariest person in the movie? <laughs> Kareem, man, Kareem was is was just like. Man, Lance Riddick was, Lance was Riddick. bringing it, you know, bringing the vibes. Man, and Riddick. I was just like, man, I want to see Lance Riddick in so much more. I I, yeah. I want to I see him. I, I want to see. I'm tired of John yes. Wick movies. Yes. I, I need me Everything. a Lance Riddick movie in mm-hmm. the John Wick universe. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Show me. Yeah. I don't want to skip over the other leads, though. Uh, but yes, I thought he was he was he was great. God is great. God is great. All the time. Uh, let's talk about uh, Leslie Odom Jr. and Aldis Hodge, who played Sam Cooke and Jim Brown, respectively. I, they had less to live up to, but I think they definitely played their parts well. Um, you all remember Aldis Hodge from Invisible Man last year. Um, he had his, his eyes were like super <clears throat> bugged out, like his muscles the whole time. Uh, it, it felt like he was doing his best Lando Calrissian impression, <laughs> albeit a bit blunted in this film. Like I know how. Jim Brown talks, but it really felt like Lando sometimes. I did. I I felt like, uh, because again, you know, Jim Brown at this point, you know, Jim Brown was still Mr. Football. Um, And, you know, the the golden age of the NFL, Mm. you know, the, and this is again where black athletes really um, even more, I'd say even more so at that point had a huge stage because this was, at a time where black wealth was almost non-existent, um, to be absolutely frank about it. And, you know, mm-hmm. the way to really make money and to really be able to put yourself on a stage and to become larger than life at that time for, you know, for, for, for black men uh, in particular was athletics. Um, and, you know, I think that, that, Jim Brown's swagger at that time was more of a blend of of Lando Calrissian and uh, I'd say probably Mike Tyson. Um, I think that I was getting more Lando vibes, like you said, but I, I think that he was really trying to come across again as this larger than life playboy, you know, that was really about to leave the gridiron and and for for the silver screen. Um, and and I think that's really what he was trying to emote mm-hmm. and i think that it went over quite well i think that that there there are things that that could have been toned down yeah. i guess you could say where you weren't getting more of that that uh you truly belong with us up here in the clouds baby like that you know that that vibe it could have come, been pulled back a little bit more <laughs> because jim brown's a little bit more of a he's a little bit more gruff and a little bit more uh 
you know, around the way dude, but it was, it's still, he still pulled off the, the personification really well, really, really, really well, actually. I feel like, I feel like if you look at, um, he's not going to be like necessarily, I feel like there's two ways he could have gone with it. And it's just like, from that area, you're talking about like athletes, you're talking about these, you know, famous, uh, you know, black men or, or, or black people that had attained wealth through, uh, sports or entertainment or something else Mm -hmm. like this. Um, and there's a couple of ways you can go. It it was just like, you're expected to give playboy or you're expected to give like, you know, my, I mean like a Mike Tyson or Muhammad Ali style braggadocio, like, you know, boisterous outgoing this, that, and the other. Um, and as it pertains to like Lando, I think Lando, you know, had gotten a lot of his vibes, you know, from maybe the people that came before him, like, how do I want to play this? And it was just like the cool black guy, you know, um, given given like this swag and this, you know, uh, well dressed and, you know, uh, to the nines and all this other stuff where it was just like 1960s, 70s, you know, pimp culture, you know, to a certain degree. Um, But it was just like that. That's what Lando gave. And then I feel like, you know, for for you know, celebrities mm-hmm. or high profile people, whether they be nationally high profile or within their own community, gave this kind of um, this vibe, you know, so I'm, I don't know if I'm putting it all on Lando or given, you know, Lando was an iconic, you know, characterization of, of black man in space. But, you sure. know, it was, you know, <laughs> you know, I think coming from from someplace, you know, deeply uh, on, on Earth. For sure. I don't know how you guys feel. I don't really, I think we've all been very glowing about this film. There's not really any buildup. I love this movie. We already talked about the performances and the chemistry, but I think mm-hmm. the pacing and the dialogue are also top notch. I was really moved at, uh, by the end. I was uh, close to tears, to be honest. Each man, I think, has mm-hmm. principles and ideas that we can all relate to. All of them angry at injustice around them, mm-hmm. trying to do what they think is best for themselves and their people. Through the conflict, they all learn from each other. And that's, it was so beautiful to watch that unfold. Jim Brown talks about wanting economic freedom through capitalism, which is something that drives so many black folks out there today, chasing the bag. Malcolm, on the other hand, dismisses that, calling it scraps and appealing to his Mm -hmm. friends to understand the bigger picture, idealism versus pragmatism. Malcolm's famous chickens coming home to roost line in reference right. to JFK's assassination got challenged when the others brought up how many black folks were sad about his passing and genuinely liked the guy. It, it reminded me of some contentions within the black community over recent leaders like Obama, Clinton, and Biden. I know friends who have unfriended or unfollowed me on mm-hmm. social media because I've been critical of these people. I don't know about you guys, but a lot of stuff that they talked about relates to our our lives today how do we stay principled but flexible how do we get our central message out without alienating people how do you stay angry but compassionate with acute focus so our words don't unnecessarily hurt people we care about there's just so much going on in this movie i I have been uh on clubhouse recently which is kind of an audio chat social media network Mm -hmm. and one of the big 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 um Mm-hmm. topics that's there every day is ADOS reparations, ADOS reparations. Um, and mm. it gets really contentious. It gets really, you know, like it, you know, I sometimes feel like a lot of the tension in those rooms that you you felt in the room with like 
uh, with with Malcolm and, and the boys in 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 one night in Miami. Um, and and this whole idea of like this negotiation and this flexibility and how do we move forward and like a lot of these things are happening every single day, like with our own kind of political activism, you know, and the yeah. things that we're kind of like interested in and engaged in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that even though it was a uh, fictionalized account of this historical event. Um, and it did maybe take some liberties, you know, about like what happened and who said what and, you know, who was mad at who and, you know, like, and, you know, created drama. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something that we can look at in this and just, you know, something that we can take away in our in our, you know, activism and in our own kind of like praxis uh, with, yeah. with regard to um, with, you know, our, our political objectives. Yeah. Yeah, I I I I'm, I wholeheartedly agree with that that take, and that's part that's part and parcel of what makes this movie so timely. Um, is that there is that problem that that we continue to struggle with about the problem of black capital, right, and financial independence from the white mainstream. Um, and a lot of the the, the men that were in that room, you know, a lot of them felt that. Uh, it was a necessary evil worth confronting and using that to achieve the former, right? Um, and that's something that we that we're still battling with today is this discussion of, uh, you know, how do we get to the point of being, you know, completely independent from, you know, having to go through white spaces to achieve uh, the ability to be independently not just wealthy but independently, you know, liberated from having to howtow to these different forces that come from and are ultimately based in white supremacy. Um, and I think that that point in and of itself was part of what made this this movie so uh, timely for what's going on right now with this discussion, as you said, Draper, about, um, you know, the reparation for the African descendants of slaves. Uh, when it comes to, uh, uh, you know, the irreparable damage that has been caused by uh, you know, these policies that have been instituted and that continue to have vestiges to this day of uh, what white supremacy has done to America. You know, America is a country that is born of sin and the original sin still has not been, it's been acknowledged, but it's not been, uh, there's been no restorative justice that has come along with it. It's always been these half-hearted attempts where you talk about things like, you uh, you know, the favorite scratching post for, you know, for, for right-wing conservatives is the scratching post of uh, affirmative action, which greatly benefits white women, mm-hmm. you know, more than it does anybody else for the most part. So this is, I think that point mm-hmm. in and of itself is really what made this movie so pivotal, pivotal in, in, in just from that one point. Um, because we are having that discussion that that has come back to the forefront uh, over these past few years now. Yeah, I and to to piggyback on that, I I also appreciated the other theme of everyone having their own part to play in fighting injustice with their different set of skills um, and interests and in relation. Also touched upon how it touched upon mm-hmm. how problematic it can be to judge solely by your standards you saw how each man had blind spots in their reasoning and their attitude and their presumptions and i think again we can all learn from that because these days we're such in our our bubbles that if someone doesn't agree with what we say 
even if we agree with 97% and someone disagrees with just a few things, it's like, you're canceled. You're, you're trash. And we can see from this movie that we really can learn from each other. And just with a little, little patience, a little compassion, we can really help each other grow. Yeah, for sure. And I, I really dug that message. I can't speak highly enough about this film. I, I definitely think it's Oscar worthy. And Draper said there are there were some liberties taken with this film, and I do want to do some fact checking for the audience about what was actually real and fictional in the film. Can can I? And I got some. Can I just from pop Holden. in and say, you know, one thing that was real for? was Leslie Odom singing Sam Cooke songs. That was real. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That wasn't lip sync. He thought that oh, they were really? going to do lip sync, but he's you know like a bro- he's been on Broadway. He sings. He he dances. He does the whole thing. And there's like, no, you're actually going to sing it. And Regina King basically, I guess, told him, you're actually going to sing this. Yeah, he was real nice. Yeah, he was nice. Really. Fact check number one. While the four did meet at the Hampton Hotel in real life, their debates were solely created by Kim Powers. Malcolm chose to leave the NOI just a few days before meeting at that hotel after Muhammad Ali Mm -hmm. chose Elijah Muhammad over him. Uh, Number three, Jackie Wilson was not that much of a saboteur as portrayed in the movie. He was more of a playful troll but not someone trying to like ruin Sam Cooke's career. Like that, that mic pool never happened. Number four, the famous underwater picture of Ali was based on a lie he actually told his documenter. He really didn't know how to swim. And number five, Sam Cooke had more socially conscious songs before meeting at that hotel. It wasn't like he was just like, you know, turning up on all these songs about love and then he just finally had this revelation at the hotel right, he was right. he was he was putting stuff out before that but a change is going to come was i think the big one for sure just to kind of move on from the movie but connecting i wanted to ask you guys what day in the life stories would you like to see from famous mm-hmm. historical black figures and i wanted to go first if you guys have any you no know, shout out but I want I want a day in the life of James Baldwin. He's such a thoughtful and witty person. I just want to see him talk with his friends and just 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 be catty. I want all that that swagger and attitude. Just just him having fun as opposed to trying to mm. prove himself in white spaces. You know what I'm saying? I want to see how is he in queer space with his friends, being completely his own, yeah. his 100% authentic self. On the other hand, I kind of <laughs> want a crazy coke-filled night with Rick James. <laughs> um, uh, a psychedelic trip with Hendrix. I kind of want to just like do a, a Hendrix trip where he just does yeah. does drugs and just like, what is he seeing for like a day? Or maybe like five minutes turns into like a two-hour movie <laughs> for him. <laughs> And inspired by Ma Rainey, I, I want to see more recently some Soulquarian recording sessions from like that that era. Maybe the recording of like Water for Chocolate because so many of the artists yeah. were on that album. Kingsley would of course play <laughs> Common. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. Do you guys have you know any, you, any ideas? you you kind of rained on my parade there, uh, Brendan? Because all I was going to say Baldwin, but. But but not okay. not to be deterred. Uh, I think it's a tie for me. If, if it's not if 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 we've got Baldwin, Baldwin covered, I'd say uh, I wouldn't mind seeing like a day in the life with like Nina Simone. That would that would be dope. I think that would really be awesome. Um, mm. Just because of how 
you know, how outspoken and how, how, you know, passionate of an individual that she was, um, on camera and in, in, in interviews. Um, I, if it's not, if not her, then it would probably also be, uh, Honestly, I would like to see what what it would be like when Michelle uh, Nichols was at her height, because she's the OG to me. I mean, like it's okay. dude, uh, she's she's one of the baddest of all time. I, I don't care what anybody says. You you cannot tell me that Michelle Nichols is not like in the top five of like some of the baddest like women of all time. She just is. You can you can't tell me otherwise because she is. The end. For me. Um, I'd probably like to see um, sure. W.E.B. Du Bois um, oh, yeah. and just him kind of infiltrating and trailblazing into these kind of like white academic spaces uh, and basically inventing, you know, an entire, you know, academic discipline. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I think that that for me would be an interesting kind of biopic view. I want to see him just talking to Garvey because they had that rivalry. I want to see how a day of them just chatting it up on the topic of women, Sky. I I want a yeah. day in the life of Eartha Kitt. Yeah. I'd love to see that. I'd love to see a day in the life of Grace Jones wow. in yeah. one of like a, a big day for her. Those two are up there for yeah, that, that's, women. Yeah, those would be, that, that would be some heavy hitting. Uh, that'd be some, and, and it, that would call for some good acting, like for some, some hellacious acting chops. Yes. Yeah. And the writing. I love Eartha Kitt's uh she had that interview about about getting married and she's <laughs> like, well, fuck all that. <laughs> and like she I love that interview. Yeah. Another particular day or moment in time when Chappelle walked away from that money and just kind of disappeared. Ooh. That would be Ooh. solid. Solid. Just like the like like, like twenty four hours, like the yeah, twenty four like, like hours, the straw that broke the camel's back. You know the the deliberation, the yeah. the, the moves. Ooh. You know, from the the time that he wakes up to the time that he says "fuck it, I'm out," and then you know hightails it to Africa. And interestingly enough, I just saw that he's COVID positive right now. Um, right, and yeah, he's doing okay. But like, I just saw that he popped right. up in the news for that reason. Yeah, shouts to Ch- Chappelle, man. Get better. If you guys don't have anything else, let's move on to uh, yeah. Lupin. This is the new Netflix sensation that has risen to become the first French series to be on Netflix's top 10 most viewed original series list. And at over 70 million streams, it has beaten out Bridgerton and Queen's Gambit to become the most viewed series worldwide. And uh, about that, I don't know how you guys feel about this, but I do like this show. However, I do want to consider the other factors that could mm-hmm. contribute to these astounding numbers. Yeah, There right. are simply more subscribers than ever before. I think Netflix nearly has 200 million subscribers now. Yeah. Plus, of course, COVID keeping people but at again, home. They're naturally going to just watch more stuff. I, this is why I don't pay attention to the, the granular numbers so much because – I mean, the metrics are going to change over time, you know, based mm-hmm. on subscribership and everything else like that. But the top is looking real black. 
you know, with 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 Bridgerton and, and Lupin. And and it's just like but black leads don't sell black films, black stories are not, you know, interesting. You know, these are global. This is everywhere around the world. I'm in Ukraine right now and it shows me the Ukraine top 10 and Lupin is like number one, number two. You know, Bridgerton mm-hmm. is number, number one, number two, like all around the world. You know, yeah. you're seeing these kind of black stories and these black uh, characters uh, and yeah. black mm-hmm. leaders being being kind of like showing their star power and showing their appeal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and 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 that's that's exactly what I was going to say was that you know I live here in you know Central Asia and Lupin is right now Lupin is is number one, um, Bridgerton is number three, um, and you've got and even like other mm-hmm. films that have uh, you know all these these black stars both established and up and coming are in the top, the top 10. Um, so, you know, you can't tell us anymore that like these stories are not, not just compelling and don't sell, but are just bloody fucking good. They're just fucking good. Um, you know, the, these, these, the, 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 from everything from the writing to the directors, um, yeah. even now, right now, uh, you know, HBO plus is available here now. And, um, you know, Lovecraft countries is number one right now in, in mm-hmm. Kyrgyzstan and in Kazakhstan. So, you know, these are this this is just part and parcel of why, you know, that's why I think that, you know, beyond the granular numbers, like you said, you know, this is just good stuff that's being put out with good actors, with good writing. Period. I just I just wonder if Daredevil premiered <laughs> during the pandemic, especially after these last Avengers films, would the viewership beat this because when it premiered in 2015 mm-hmm. netflix only had a little over 50 million subscribers for example and the service was still a relatively new phenomenon like daredevil helped you know make netflix what it is right i just i just wonder if it premiered or even uh, a luke cage if luke cage premiered mm-hmm. this year for the first time would it would it even go like hit those numbers you know what i'm saying uh, but yeah, Lupin's good on a on a blurred level. Oh, you talking do about you know what Sony. else he was in? Uh, you know what? Yeah, Omar he's Sony, been in Sony, quite yes. a few films, like like actual sci fi, like blurred level films. But I can't put my finger on it. Get this: he was Bishop in Days of Future Past. Right. Damn it! That's right. I do remember that face now. Yeah, and, I, I don't. And that I don't, was amazing wig. I, I don't like remember <laughs> like all of the ancillary, you know, uh, players in 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 those movies, um, in those X Men movies. Uh, I just remember kind of like the the kind of headline names or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that was interesting because now I can totally see his face in the whole Bishop getup and everything. Yeah, man, but I, I'm telling you, nobody black, nobody black had anything to do with that wig because that shit was a travesty. <laughs> man, I, think it was that bad. I, didn't, I didn't notice how bad that was. You know what? I didn't say this in our review, but if you saw Wonder Woman 1984, uh, who was that that Middle Eastern dude uh, who was like who helped them find the map or something like that? He had an atrocious wig on. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. I know who you're uh, talking about. Who was, was, was the guy from Master of None? I don't know his name. Anyway, let's let's uh, move on. Anyway, yeah, yeah he was kind of, was, he was kind of a hippie, right? The yeah, guy who helped him find. Yeah, it was like he was part Mayan, but 
the actor was like actually like of Middle Eastern descent or something like that, and he had this this horrible wig. It was it was just it was horrible. They don't care. Um, yeah, they don't no. Care. I mean, I mean, you all saw this movie. They they didn't care about anything in this movie or that movie. Anyway, I don't want to talk about that movie. That movie is like I'm trying to block it from my my memory. Um, Omar Sy was also Barry in Jurassic World. Yeah, he was all. Uh, right. He was also yeah. in Transformers: The Last Night, which I never saw. But um, I don't have much to say about Lupin so far. I'm really digging it. You know how there are men out there who project this intelligence and command of knowledge on politics, but they've only read one book, like 1984 or Libertarians. They've only read Atlas Shrugged. But our man Asan, he's a big nerd for these Lupin thief stories, and it it guides his every move, which is cool to see how its influence manifests on the screen each episode. And I like that he isn't like an Idris Elba person. Like he's, he's charming. He's handsome. Yeah. He's, he's built well enough, but because he aims to be this master of the sky as a chameleon, he does come across as an everyman with simply extraordinary abilities. Like you can't imagine big ass GQ Idris Elba walking into a police station, trying to act like a tech guy to go undercover. Like it just, I don't see that. <laughs> You could see it, but it, but it would be unbelievable. It wouldn't be, yes. you know, you couldn't suspend your disbelief, you know. Yeah. The whole gentleman thief facade, it, it, it suits Omar Sy's style of acting very well. You know, his mm. not not just his, his persona and, and his look, but his actual, you know, style of acting really, really matches very well with, you know, trying to pull off the whole gentleman thief uh, you know, master of disguise, as you saw, as you said, you know, it really comes across as, yeah, I can see that. Like I can, I, mm -hmm. I can get into this because I can believe it. Now I'm not going to sit here and believe it. If you had a guy like, you know, silky smooth Idris Elba, where he walks in and goes, yeah, yeah, I'm the tech guy and I'm here to fix your computer. It's like, mm, yeah, no, you're, not. <laughs> you're not like, like I get that. Like, um, Omar Sy, like his the way that he like presents himself is he flashes this smile and it's like this boyish you know kind of grin and everything yeah. and this kind of like happiness uh, that is kind of like reminiscent of black boy joy and everything else like that. But Peter mm -hmm. uh, Elba, if he smiles at you like panties are dropping, you know what I'm saying? It's like right. a whole different vibe. <laughs> true, 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 true. It's like having like a Michael B. Jordan play play this role. Like no. Not gonna work, brother. Gonna but work. you know, th this also the the thing that I really like about uh, about Lupin, like beyond the fact that it's you know it's a very very good series overall, in my opinion, and and it really is has compelling writing. It's the fact that it showcases, you know, this the the what what really happens across the global diaspora as far as. Uh, you know, not just acting chops, but the things that they deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, where you're not just seeing things through the, you know, black cultural lens from the United States, right? Mm -hmm. You're seeing yes. it from, you know, where the black diaspora uh, in real France and in continental Europe really shaped what continental Europe is, whether they want to believe it or not. Um, mm -hmm. and, and even more so in, in you know, the, the post-colonial, uh, uh, French Empire, you know, that still exists today. Um, I really like that. You know, I've always been into French films and, and, and French cinema for a very long time because it's it's very good. But 
you know, getting to see, you know, black acting chops. Yeah, I'm I'm always gonna be about rooting for everybody that's black, but I'm gonna tell you, like, you know, there's some really good acting that people aren't, you know, normally exposed to. And I think that's mm-hmm. you know part of the reason why Netflix is like, yeah, like, you know, part of it's great from a a uh you know from a social representation standpoint, yeah, sure, of course. But they're like, yo, there's some money to be made here. Let's get in while the getting's good, right? And yeah. you know, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine with that. People are making money, and the right people are making money. So you know, have at it. Um, I would, I would just like to jump in on this and and say that, like on Clubhouse, there's been a lot of talk about you know Lupin, and uh, I mean, there's a lot of talk about everything. But um, I was in a couple of rooms, and they were talking about it, and. Because of my time zone, I, I don't really get into a lot of the rooms with the American people. I get into the rooms with like the the British people and yeah. the, the West Africans and, you know, the Europeans and everything. And, and uh, I mean, it's uh, most of these rooms are really black. Um, but um, so the black Brits and everything, what they noticed uh, and black Brits who had lived in France and everything for a while, they were just like, um According to the Lupin universe, like black women don't exist. Ooh. And uh, I was just like, okay, so I remember the one person that was uh, Senegalese or whatever that gave him the job, mm-hmm. you know, as the as the cleaner. She was kind of like his boss. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the one black woman that I kind of remembered, but like she wasn't a major character. She kind of disappeared and. And uh, there was a, a lot of discussion about like uh, rep- that type of representation mm-hmm. and uh, like black people from uh, the UK who had, you know, lived in France, studied abroad or done something else like that. They were just like, yeah, uh, for the most part, I didn't see a lot of black women even in Paris. Mm-hmm. You know, and black people from Paris were just like, nah, you were just in white spaces. You know, mm-hmm. uh, there's a lot of black women in Paris and you see them out and about. But like if you're at the Louvre, you know, you're not going to see black women Ooh, you know, yeah, or, or something yeah. else like that. And it's just like because of um, Hassan's, um, I guess, privilege, you know, that he went to these special schools and he infiltrated these white spaces and everything. around. I mean, these were the people that he were just around and he was mm-hmm. trying to be in all of these you know, high uh, society places. And that's why you didn't see even people, black people walking in the background. Mm. Interesting. Welcome to yeah. Flicker Town, ladies and gentlemen. Because that's a spicy take, my friend. That's that's really, that's, wow. That's, uh, that's a really good point. That's a very good point, actually. Um, I, I wonder, you know, that's something I really do wonder if, people do pick up on because I'm, I'm sitting here reflecting as you speak. And that really is how it is. Cause I, you know, I used to go to Paris quite often and I was always in, you know, black and brown spaces, everybody, you know, I, cause I, you know, having, you know, French Moroccan, you know, ancestry, you know, that, that of my own, I would always, you know, end up around, you know, other French Moroccans. And again, you know, North African, diasporas in particular, uh, you know, Mauritanians, uh, Moroccans, Algerians, um, you know, you name it, they tend to want to be in black spaces with, you know, like with, with sub-Saharan Africans, especially because of, you know, the post-colonialism that still exists, right? And so whenever I was there, I would notice that 
you know, these are the spaces where you would see more white, you know, uh, uh, you know, Frenchmen and French women wanting to be around because that's where all the good stuff was going on. The good clubs, you know, were black clubs in in in, in Paris, you know, in the certain arrondissements of France of uh, Paris. Excuse me. That's where things were going on. You know, all the hot culture were in these spaces. If you want to go get really good, you know, uh, if you want to get really good food, you would go to those spaces. So that's really that's man, that's really interesting that you that you you picked up on that. Damn. Well, it wasn't me. Like I was in another room and, and a lot of people like the European black people were, yeah. were making these observations. Wow. Um, and, you know, like I think maybe as an American and a lot of the American audiences, you know, they might just say, you know, like, ain't no black people in this or they're just the, the main character is black and everybody else is white. And, you know, this, yeah. that and the other and leave it at that. But they wouldn't necessarily go into an analysis of Parisian society or something else like sure. that or Parisian kind of like class issues as it pertains to race. Um, uh, and just, you know, um, but I think a lot of the people that had had experience uh, in, in Europe and in, um, in, in Paris in particular were um, very vocal about it. Additionally, you know, a point of discussion was that um, his love interest uh, that we are aware of were, were kind of white uh, women. Uh, and, that is, I, I guess, something that is uh, kind of understandable given his his background and upbringing. But at the same time, it's presented far too often in a lot of uh, media that, you know, this guy is, you know, um, I guess, climbing, uh, you know, climbing society. And, you know, there's this uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, the, this viewpoint that like, if you're with white women, then you, you become more acceptable or you mm -hmm. can get in spaces or something else like that. So if it was like kind of a social climber move on his part, or, I mean, it, it seems like his first kind of fling, I guess, or his first flings were just the women that he was around, you know, mm -hmm. the women, you yeah. know, the, the, the heiress, um, and, and also his, his classmates. Mm -hmm. You even see that in, in, in how, you know, art does imitate life in, in a lot of ways. And I think that that's a really good point because I mean, you see that even if you look at, you know, the way that certain politicians, you know, of a darker persuasion tend to uh, be around. I mean, you can see it in everything. And, and you know, again, this isn't this isn't making these people, you know, making them, you know, necessarily bad or, or or good or whatever you know you love who you love and that's fine but you do see that when it comes to uh, a certain level of, of of social ladder climbing you see it you know people have made uh talks about have, have talked about it in a negative way when you're talking about with uh kamala harris and her and, and her husband you see it where people are talking about with that bitch ass motherfucker uh daniel cameron in kentucky right so this is something that that you do see. You see it on a daily basis, but it tends to get magnified more in a positive light when it comes to black and brown men and more of a negative mm -hmm. light when you're talking about women of color. Right. And and that's something that needs to be talk, talked about. And, you know, that's something that we could we could get into and probably do a whole show about. But that is something that really is a, 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 something of issue, I think. For sure. 
I was thinking about you're talking about Kamala Harris. Uh, Kamala uh, Harris. Uh, you got Ilhan Omar as well, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, we're we're kind of running over time. I don't want to uh, spend too much time on this, but I think the part two of this it's fine. I, I think the part two of this show comes out later on this year. It's not going to be that soon, but it's coming out this this year. So we'll we'll definitely talk more about it. I think because I don't have a lot to say because the story hasn't wrapped up yet. But maybe once right. that wraps up, we'll have more to more to dig into. Um, let's move on to outside the wire, and um, you both saw this, right? Yes, yes, I, I did see it. Okay, so for those who don't know, the the premise for this movie is a drone pilot makes a strike decision against command, and so he's sent off to the field to get a better understanding of what it is like out there, so you can fully kind of appreciate the decision making that goes on. And he's put under the command of Captain Leo, who is actually an android with a very black American attitude. It's it's like training day if Alfonso was a Terminator. This is essentially <laughs> his uh, Captain America super soldier movie to an extent. He even says, I could do this all day as a reference to, to Captain America. He's like yeah. John Wick with the brutality and the accuracy as long as you're close there's a little inconsistency in his abilities maybe due to budget but there's one particularly i think really well choreographed scene near the end that was a step above the usual netflix action like like more similar to like daredevil or something like that yeah and this stars damson idris not to be confused with idris elba uh this actor is largely a tv actor he's been in the new twilight zone show he's been in black mirror and i thought he was he was fine like he he wasn't amazing to me but he he did his job i think everyone like did their job sure. in this movie it, nothing like blew me away here jake what are your thoughts it was yeah. a it was a solid action movie but nothing like i feel like too spectacular and it it didn't really get into the the sci-fi bag enough for me personally. It it didn't get into any bag. I think it it has that Netflix curse of having an interesting premise, but never falling through. Like I was afraid of this movie being military propaganda, but the middle of it kind of subverted mm-hmm. my expectations when they criticized the U.S. war machine, figuratively and literally. Then right at the very end, it was like, yeah, that's okay. Actually, we can do better. And there's really nothing to back up how they're going to do better. It's just yay, yay humanity, yay America, we can do it. And it just it was just really hollow to me. Yeah, and and this is another movie with two black leads. Um, just just so you know. Um, and it was number one in Ukraine. And if anybody who's seen this movie um knows that it takes place in Ukraine, so the Ukrainian people were particularly interested in this, and there is an ongoing war here in Ukraine, and everything is political, you know. Um, so so it's it's interesting to see a film that comes out. And it's interesting also because do you guys remember when Red Dawn was re-released a few years back? I do. Yeah. I didn't. Okay, so the original Red Dawn was like the Soviets are evil, right? 
And then mm-hmm. the new Red Dawn came out and it was like the North Koreans. And yeah. now it feels like people are moving on to like the Ukraine. Like that's the, you know, the, the kind of scary one, you know, now where there's some mastermind or evil, you know, this, that, and the other. So it's it's interesting to kind of see. You know, you, you mentioned the the two black leads. And Leo said something in the middle of the film about having his face designed uh, in a way that made him look neutral or disarming. And I wonder if that is meta. Like, had the main actors of this movie been blonde and blue-eyed, would this movie gotten a bigger backlash for its empty message? Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting, you know, because if you... Did you guys see The, the Five Bloods? I did, yeah. yeah I sure did. Um, you know, the, the, the wartime propaganda, you know, like on the radio and everything where they were speaking out to like the black soldiers and they were saying like, Hey, you guys, we know that this isn't really your war and you're not being treated well back home either. And all of this other stuff. I think that's kind of where this idea comes from, where like whenever American soldiers get sent abroad, you know, like they always look at, you know, like the, the people that are in the know realize that like, Hey, America is not treating these people well. This is an opportunity for us to use a wedge, mm-hmm. you know, or something else like that to kind of break them apart. Or, you know, the, the understanding of kind of like class, you know, politics and, and, and race and everything else like that. When other people are strategizing and they're saying, you know what, you know, um, black people uh, are not necessarily treated as kind of full Americans and black people are not in charge they're not the ones making the decisions that you know hurt us you know it's not necessarily in their interest and muhammad ali saying you know uh, i'm not going to you know you know go out and kill other black and brown people they've never done anything to me i'm I'm talking about these people at home you know and Mm -hmm. his his opposition to to going and fighting wars and everything so there's a lot there when it comes to that line where it's just like my face is disarming my face is designed to you know basically make me give me access to places where you know your blonde haired blue-eyed soldier american all-american guy is not necessarily going to have access to mm-hmm. and i feel like that's it it lets these kind of propaganda movies get a pass because we're also disarmed of this because they don't only had a two black people kind of in the lead but the other drone pilot was a woman i don't know if she was white or she she seemed a little bit racially ambiguous but it was a woman right which, which again we don't really think about military as this very multi-racial like uh coalition right hmm. even with, with the capital riots one out of I five think was, of those riders not? were yeah but even, you know, at the Capitol riots, one in five people there who were inside were, were military. And again, they weren't, they, they were white. Um, right. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't want to spend too much on this. I don't know if you guys have any more comments to say, but yeah, it was an okay movie. Um, I think it was, I think it was, yeah, it was, it was a, it was a Netflix action uh it was par for the course for net Netflix action. Um, you know, the, the, you know, with what you've had in the past with, you know, a lot of Netflix's released that have been, you know, very action focused with, you know, everything mm-hmm. from extraction to this one. Um, it was pretty par for the course. I, I do think that it was above the level of just action junk food for sure. 
Um, Anthony yeah. Mackie was at his best when when he was you know able to wisecrack. It was good for what it was. I think that what I did like the most was that it doesn't it doesn't go out of its way to try to sanitize um, the military industrial complex. Um, I yeah, think yeah. that I think that it could have done a little bit more to really kind of like you said get into that sci-fi action bag and really talk about a lot of the ramifications of where we're going with modern warfare right now. Um, even if you go back to you know my time where you know things were automated and you know and all of us really, if you were born you know between the eight between the years of 1979, 1978, and you know really now, you've not seen a time where warfare has not been desanitized. You know, the Gulf War was brought to us live and living color from, you know, the the, you know, from, you know, network television on a nightly basis. And, mm -hmm. you know, with what we've done with with modern warfare is that it has been become almost sanitized to a point where now, you know, people think of it as an afterthought. You know, it, it's just the way that things are, um, you know, and, and I think it could have done a little bit more with that. But overall, it, it was it, it was what it was. Yeah, I, I would kind of say that if you look at it, I guess the the ending, you know, note was that like, uh, as Americans, we can do better, you know, or something else like this idea. But I don't think the uh, military industrial complex came off looking good. You know, they didn't come off looking heroic really at all, you know. And so I think that in in a, in a lot of films and a lot of things, we're, we're getting into the shades of gray a little bit more as opposed to like the black and white. And I think that, you know, Marvel was actually um, really good at that, you know, and also despite uh, the feelings that a lot of people may have about Game of Thrones, I think Game of Thrones really brought in a lot of shades of gray type of characters and this idea that it's not just kind of like black and white with like the good guy and the bad guy and different mm -hmm. things like that. So, um, so I, I feel like we're kind of in the golden age of television and being that this is kind of a made for TV movie in essence, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's one of those things where we're, we're not going to have that simple characterization of, of, of just like black and white or this person's all good and that person's all bad. Yeah. Um, but what I, what, what, uh, Sky was saying about, Netflix uh, movies and, you know, th this kind of zone that like Netflix movies are in. Um, I think it's like, you know how um, pop music producers like do the science and they figure out like what like rhythm, what melody, what, you know, frequencies are going to hit, you know, like they analyze all the songs and they aggregate and they say they pick out these things. I think that's what Netflix is kind of doing with like movies. They're just like, all right, like what's going to what's going to touch the most bases, what's going to hit the most audiences. Oh, yeah what's not going to offend this this group of people or that group of people how can we um if we're going to talk about ukraine how can we make it like a, a a version of ukraine that is not the current version of ukraine that right. it would offend maybe people in ukraine or something so there I, I think that they're very careful uh in uh the way that they kind of produce these movies um for the the maximum kind of impact with with audiences around the world yeah, yeah, and the maximum it's, amount of viewership. Yeah, it's and they got the money for it. They've got yeah. the money for it. They've got the 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 you know the the boffins, so to speak, that will really get that um, get that viewership. And it's it's a Goldilocks formula, right? 
um, it, it's all about trying to make sure that you can make a movie that's not cheesy, make a movie that deals with these types of themes. And we don't want to make it cheesy, but we don't want to make it uh, unwatchable to the point where we're having a social justice fest, so to speak. But we also want to address that. And that's not easy to do. It, it's not easy to do in this day and age. But, you know, Netflix has got the money and they've got the, 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 the number crunches to do it. So I think that that's a really good point that they have been able to get into that Goldilocks zone with these movies. Now, they might not necessarily be like, you know, Golden Globe material, and that's fine. But they've got people that are watching it in the enough numbers that you're getting more organic subscribers that are like, oh, yeah, I'll join Netflix just to watch this, right? Or I'll, you know, re I'll, I'll, you know, pay the eight, nine, you know, $12 a month to get two or three things that I really like. And that's really what they're going after, right? And, you know, I, I guess it's, it's been working because their viewership is at an all-time high now. COVID. My eyes are getting droopy. Uh, I didn't say this on the air yet, but yeah, I actually, um, I slept for hours yesterday. My my grandfather passed away, and I was I was at his. I attended the virtual funeral at one a.m., and uh, I only slept four hours uh, yesterday. So, I'm I'm starting. My eyes, are droop. my eyes are starting to droop. I'm getting like super sleepy. So, let's um let's close the show out with uh, Wandavision. Have you all? watched all three episodes yet or? i've only yes. watched Are you all i've only watched two. Oh mm. well we can't dig into the sport oh man i so yeah we there's a base we can't it's okay i don't mind i don't no no you should you should definitely i'm uh, i don't want to ruin it for you um let's talk about what what we are caught up on though um this show is and there are sports ahead at least for the first few episodes so if you all don't want it spoiled skip ahead to the the song um that i'm gonna share it later but yeah this is so different from anything we have ever seen from marvel and it's really cool i love when marvel digs into the weirdness you yeah. know like yeah. thor ragnarok uh dr strange getting into like really weird marvel is where i i think that they are doing um the lord's work so to speak, uh, as it pertains to getting weird things on 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 our screens, you know, things that are atypical, things that are maybe not as predictable. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Weird. Marvel is is really where you start to, to see. You can see you can tell when a, a director is really good when they start doing things with weird Marvel and you're like, I want to watch more of this um, because I didn't even really get that deep into you know, old school Doctor Strange when I was reading the comic books. I just didn't. But I did, you know, read a lot of the lore because, you know, it interconnected with the Avengers and things like that. And that was a lot of the old school comics that I actually read, right? But when they were able to pull off Doctor Strange and incorporate him into the MCU and make it pop, I was like, wow, there's some good, this is some good directing. This is some good, some good writing and good casting. They did a good job of casting. WandaVision is weird marvel like it's odd like the first episode was like what is this i love it give me more like and and a lot of people had said the same thing they're just like wow i like weird marvel and a lot of people weren't you know and i'm talking about marvel when it's in-house i'm not talking about like 20th century fox you know making their hands and, and defiling the, the 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 good name of you know things like spider-man and um or was that sony sony it's sony right 
Yep. Sony is Spider-Man and 20th Century Fox is uh, fantastic for an X-Men. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't, uh, they just, they shouldn't touch that stuff ever again. But it's, if you haven't seen WandaVision yet and you and you are on the, the, the border of whether or not to watch it, you should watch it uh, because it's, it's good, weird Marvel. I, I would qualify that. Yeah. Um, I would say that like, it's not for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may not understand what's happening as far as like, um, the treatments that they're giving each one of these episodes, you know, they come from this era, you know, like I grew up in an era, you know, I'm 41 years old to, for anyone that cares. Uh, but I grew up in an era where like, I would wake up in the morning and watch Nickelodeon, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and on Nickelodeon, they would have all these old black and white, you know, shows, you know, My Favorite Martian, Green Acres, um, you know, um, and, you know, I Dream of Genie and different things like that. So, hillbillies. You know, all these things kind of like throw back to like things that you used to see on television during this era. Like each one of these is like a particular homage, I guess, to a particular style of uh, sitcom or something else like that. And so yeah. if you don't, if, if you, you're, you're maybe going to not recognize some of the beats that they're, that, that they're trying to kind of play in each one of these episodes. Um, and so th- it is kind of like episodic. It's, it's this combo episodic versus serialized kind of thing where you can see that something is happening and something's coming and the episodes are changing in a way that is going to allow us to see different things. But um, it's all the more enjoyable for people that understand the kind of cultural reference that they're drawing from in order to treat each one of these um, episodes in the story. Yeah. It's, it's like um, it's like the X-Men franchises, actually. Remember, like, uh, First Class started during the time of the Cuban... Uh, Missile, Missile crisis. crisis. Yeah. So right. the first, the first episode of WandaVision starts in the fifties, and I think that's kind of the the bewitched influenced episode. And episode two it takes place in the sixties. You can you actually kind of notice that the house changes, the set of the house yeah. changes, and then episode three is more based off of the Brady Bunch. Mm-hmm. Um, even the theme song is more like a Mary Tyler Moore ish um, Brady Bunch. Yes, exactly. And so I'm very curious how where they go with episode four. Are they going to go to the '80s, and what what show would they take influence from? Charles in uh, Charge or something? Yeah. Dude, uh, good times. Good times. Good times. <laughs> good times. Or wow, that would that would be amazing. That's damn, a damn! Damn! <laughs> Can you imagine Wanda hitting that joint? No, it, no, it's vision. No. No, no, well, no, yeah, vision. it would be vision. It would be damn, vision. damn, damn, Wanda. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's it's really it, it's something that that makes it all the more compelling because if you can get past the first episode and and understand that, hey, you know, this is interesting. It really, you know, you you get pulled into it because of that. Like, where are they going with this? Because I really want to see this through. And that's what's I think that's what really pulled me in because I was like. Okay, I saw the, I, and I've been trying to get away from uh, watching a lot of the trailers to a lot of these shows, and especially what's going on with what uh, Disney Plus is doing with uh, expanding 
the MCU and making it consumable for you know television, right? Um, so I'm trying to take a, a, a page from Brendan's uh, uh, playbook and not get too deep into a lot of the the trailers. So I only watched the teaser trailer for WandaVision. And that's what made it even more like what the like a kind of a what the hell moment for me while I was watching. I was like, what are they doing right now? And then I got into the second episode and say, oh, that's what they're doing. Um, so I'm really hoping that they do something from from the 80s next as far as you know the what they're doing with this progression of the the serialized episodes. Um I'm really hoping that they pull something from both Airwolf and mm-hmm. the facts of life. But that's just me. Don't at me for that. But that I think that would be dope. Or even Knight Rider. Hell, that'd be dope. I think Knight Rider would, Knight Rider would work the best because of, of Vision. He could be Kid. I know Mork and Mindy started in the late 70s. Yeah. But it would be cool. It, it did end in the early '80s, and I kind of it'd be cool if they could sneak that in there because that there you could see elements of that in there too. Sure. I, I could say that um, there's something that I believe in the '80s that would be more appropriate, but I would think that it might be a spoiler if someone hasn't seen episode number three. So I will I will keep that to the side, you know. Um, but I think that there is some some things in the '80s that uh, incorporate a certain structure. Oh, uh, I oh I know what you're talking about. I know what you're talking about now. I I know you're talking about. Um, okay. it's cool. It's cool. Um, again, I don't want to run, run, run too long. I want to go through a few Easter eggs. I don't know if you guys caught them yourself, um, but for the audience who may not have caught them, I want to go through some things. Um, number one is the introduction of Sword. We know that Shield is the organization that monitors like superhuman activity on Earth. Sword global threats. Well, it's they they watch the skies, space, essentially, and so at the end of these episodes, you see the sword notebook uh, when they're monitoring what's happening. You also, mm-hmm. when Wanda catches that helicopter that's red, it has a sword logo on the on the helicopter too. And in episode one, I believe one of the directors, if you saw, it was Abe Brown. And A. Brown is one of the martial arts heroes, the Sons of the Tiger, which is related to not only Iron Fist, but the upcoming movie this year, uh, Shang-Chi. So right. that's kind of like a connecting to to that film and to that hero. Mm-hmm. In episode two, there's a commercial about uh, like, don't touch that dial. And there is a there's a poster of Bova Milk and apparently Bova <laughs> is a sentient cow and midwife that helped deliver Wanda and her brother Pietro in the comic book. Um, going on to That's some crazy. other things. Yeah, it's it's honestly like this this show, there's a lot. There's some obvious ones like the Strucker watch. We obviously know that Strucker helped make the twins. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Did you guys did you guys watch That's that show, The Gifted? No. Yeah. Did you watch The Gifted, Brandon? No, no. It's about the Strucker family and their lineage, basically. Mm. Right. Yeah, it's and and it's interesting. So yeah, that that Strucker watch was kind of interesting. I forget things about that show. I, I do want to check it out. I'm not sure if they renewed it or whatever, but I I, I think I only watched the first season. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of those shows were were not renewed. I kind of liked it, but it kind of got 
a little bit. It got long-winded. Yeah. Yeah. Along with introducing Sword, this show is also... I think AIM was already introduced in a movie. I forget which movie it was. But the beekeeper that turns up, I believe, in episode two, Mm -hmm. that was an AIM uniform. And so that's introducing that. And I want to go into the other episode three stuff, but we'll save that for later. There's a magazine that I think Wanda was holding a Glimmer magazine, and, and you know, in reference to the Glimmer, the Glimmer magazines of old. But on the cover, she was wearing an outfit that was similar to Scarlet Witch's traditional outfit in, in the comic book. There's just so right. much to dig in with, with this show. I unfortunately, um, I didn't prepare as much for WandaVision because I just have so much to do this past week or so. But I do want to talk more about it once everyone's caught up next time. Yeah. And I would say that as far as like um, the Easter eggs go, I think that that's got to be just like like a whole panel. Like they've got a whole room of people who are just like hatching plans for for Easter eggs because it drives so much of the um, zeitgeist as it relates to the show. You Mm -hmm. know, like more people are going to watch the show because more people are talking about it online. And did you see this? And did you see that? And then if you do a search term and you're interested in something else related to Marvel and you see, Oh, like the aim, the beekeeper thing, Oh, that's going to be in WandaVision too. Maybe I should check it out. So like all of these kind of interconnected things, I Mm -hmm. think that Marvel is really intentionally like uh, leaning in on, you know, Easter egg type material because of how the online communities um, engage with with this kind of Easter egg material and how much it kind of uh, redounds to back to the, the the show itself. You know, as far yeah. as like the uh, the audience for it. I think it pulls in a lot of the old heads that have been somewhat that may have been reticent to really kind of you know get into the expanded MCU because a lot of what you do hear from some you know from from some of the people that that for whatever reason like to yell at clouds. Um, they tend to to really get into oh well you know this this goes so far off the canon and this doesn't talk about you know what the Maximovs were and this is this is horse manure and you know it's they get so far off into these rabbit holes where they're like oh it's not going to be good because it's just because they're not following you know what's traditionally from the comics okay yeah and what so what that doesn't make it a bad series but at the same time you still want to try to appeal to people that are maybe not watching it because of those reasons. Right. And I think that they do have a lot of these, uh, you know, source material uh, experts that are going back and say, Hey, we need to insert this. We need to, you know, tw- you know, just put this one reference here and they do it in a way where it's not, I like it because, you know, it is, they are truly Easter eggs. It's not something that's just blatant, right. It's not something that just jumps out at you, but people that are really into it, like, Oh, that's X, Y, and Z. And I think that that's really cool. I think that's what, what makes it, you know, all the more watchable is because of things like that. You know, the, the Easter egg material that they do incorporate into the series itself and the writing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as we talked about, there's this media rollout. You know, I feel like every day I wake up and there's an article like, did you catch this Easter egg? Or this mm-hmm. episode of Wanda introduced this major character or hints at this thing over here. And yeah. it's almost like, Every day these things come out. Again, as Draper said, you guys said it's brilliant marketing. I'm really looking forward to where this goes and how it connects. It's obviously going to connect to Doctor Strange. 
sequel because Scarlet Witch is going to be in that film. And now it connects mm-hmm. to Shang-Chi. Very curious how it may connect to the Eternals even if they're if they yeah. are introducing sword. So yeah. Do you guys have any final things? Because again, we are very over time. <laughs> no, we can wrap it. Yeah, let's wrap. Guys, this is our first show of the year. Thank you all so much for being here. Where can they find you? Um, I guess uh where I'm most active on social media these days is uh Clubhouse, and that's at D R A P E R dot K at Draper K. <laughs> yeah, if you guys are interested in seeing uh snarky uh social justice and uh great memes and shit posting, you guys can follow me on the Facebooks. Um just look for Sky Muhammad, that's M-U-H-A-M-M-A-D. I also have a new clubhouse account, um, and that is Sky High at S K Y H I G H. Um, and come and say hi. I'm in there usually uh, sometimes between 8 a.m. and about 5 p.m. while I'm at work on uh, Eastern Standard Time in the United States. Um, and of course, here um, on Blurred Up. And where can they find us, Mr. Brendan? You guys are both on Clubhouse. I feel like the old man in the room. Like I, I really adapt to, to this new stuff really slow. I, I don't want to get tied to more social media things. But um, again, we're on Facebook at B-L-E-R-D-U-P and Instagram at B-L-E-R-D period U-P and on Twitter at B-L-E-R-D-U. Uh, don't forget to check out our or my my um, my collaboration with my homie John Carlos Evans at Black Nerd Problems. We did a 20 definitive Blurred Rap albums piece on the on the Blurred.com site. Really proud of that. Let's fade out on the Sega City joint, Streets of Rage. Again, shout out to Key Murdoch for the joint. Shout out to him for the theme song. And we'll see you all next time. Peace. Peace. Later. We must take back the streets. It doesn't matter whether or not they're the victims of society. The end result is they're about to knock my mother on the head with a lead pipe, shoot my sister, beat up my wife, take on my son. And it's a sad commentary on society. We have no choice but to take them out of society. <laughs> Mr. Rex's biggest mistake was messing with us. If you ask DJ Khaled, huh, we the best. I guess some introductions are at hand. My name is Eddie, but they call me Skate, because frankly, I'm the man. I'll take a second, help you understand. Corruption's holding this city down like an underhand. They came to the city, heavy-handed with the bribes, and I'm looking at them like, man, really? Slipping, but it doesn't matter cause they ripping through here with all the politics So now you know the mission, but it won't stop there Gonna beat them all up till we get the truth, that's a dare I got the blades in a circle of fists It's an endless barrage like a circle of fists uh, When you feel the hits, you'll be seeing so many stars you think we were killing sets When they're wildin' out, and when we had enough Listen, they saw the answer in X, 
even though I was missing. I can't acknowledge the problems just to find a solution. Make it pure again, cause my whole city ruled by pollutants. Slash, I ran the city with my woes, throwing bows at my foes, leaving imprints of my bottom soul. We beat them up and we never needed a cheat code. Chess moves, had to check a king to destroy a throne. My little brother pulled up, he's in my role now. And like Bow Wow, he got the mount with a roll bounce. Years later, came with a new equation. Since we removed X, the Y's was his replacement. My brother's older, you know he had to put up the skates. So I returned with new moves, rocking black shades. If you were opting, I gotta say it's your last day. I see you, then you catch the fade and solve the problems that you made. Fuck, serve and protect. Like that's been happening. If I make a call, it might be me they shut the casket on. What resources or forces of origin are you asking of? Who benefits from those confiscations they keep passing up? Every time somebody from community shuts unity for gangs and moms who basket fiscal hubris things get war over colors or turf brothers with sickness two degrees. That person gets murdered. And those seem like hits to you and me. And I don't know if my thoughts will ever be syndicated. But I think when threats come along, they just syndicate them. Whoever's in that penthouse up top knows how to evade it. Just as I mean, so the team's gonna go persuade them. Back before my hiatus, you know how I used to beat them. Treat them like snacks that I'ma throw out and let Scooby eat them. Stomp them like Kirk Franklin did for God in the 90s. It'll be too late for Ivy's. Do not try me. It's Axel with the Titans. When they're wildin' now, and when we had enough. Beat them up. Ooh. 